For this episode of the Pure Football Podcast, we partnered with leading men's grooming brand, Manscaped. They're here to save your men's health. Yep, you heard that right. Manscaped, the best of the best and world champions of men's grooming, are here. So you stay clean and take care of yourself where it matters most. Manscaped is trusted by over 2 million men worldwide. So what are you waiting for? Join the movement for all of your below-the-waist grooming needs with the code... Have you got a pen and a paper? Ready? The code is purefootball at manscaped.com. For what? Oh, 20% off and free shipping of your order. Hold on, I'm just going to do that myself. Hello and welcome to another episode of the Pure Football Podcast with me, Guillem Balaguer. This one is the episode with Peter Michael. With Peter, who I admired for a long time, and uh, as a young kid, I was a goalkeeper. And my two big heroes were Tommy Cono, the Cameroon goalkeeper, who was also uh, the goalie of Espanol, and Peter Michael. Partly because they had a different personality, a strong personality, and they were not scared of coming out of their six-year box. They were leaders, a lot of things that uh, made them really attractive to um, to try to imitate. Then with Peter, we've crossed paths a lot in the last two, three years because we both work for CBS. We cover the uh, the Champions League and CBS sometimes send us together to, to cover the same game. Uh, for instance, recently, and this is when the conversation took place, we met in Madrid uh, ahead of the uh, Atletico Madrid-Manchester United game. What I find with uh, with Peter is um, he's is uh, how can we put it strong personality. Generally, with um, with former players, when you are with them and you are working, you you tend to lead them because they trust their instinct or their previous experiences. But Peter prepares himself big time, and he wants everything to come out good. And he even though. It seems natural in front of the camera and with the microphone. There's a lot of work behind it. So that's a glimpse of what life with an elite person must be like, uh, what what Peter Michael must have been as a, as a professional player. Uh, obsessive about the details, demanding of everyone, but doing it with a, with a nice aura, a nice vibe. Anyway, knowing that we were going to be in Madrid, I thought, how about if we sit down and talk about one, which is the autobiography that he's written alongside um, Jonathan Knockcroft, who is one of the best writers, uh, football writers in the in the UK, in English, really. And the complexity of his character comes out in the conversation in the same way that it comes out in a book, which has become a bestseller, and rightly so, because it really is fascinating. Uh, remember that he's the son of a... Danish nurse and a Polish musician, and that mixture of nationalities, uh, it's, a, it's a richness that he has had in his life. Relationship with his dad is fascinating. Anyway, I won't go into detail because uh, I'd rather you listen to it. This is Peter Michael talking to me in a, in a hall in, in an airport hotel in Madrid. Peter, how are you? I'm good. Thank you yes. very much. How are, are you? Ready for what's happening tonight? I, uh, it, it's funny because 
when you're not playing in the beginning that there's some kind of distance to it um, and the more the more time that passes from that moment where you retired uh, the more it begins to mean more mm. uh, so the anticipation is is a much it's much bigger now than what it was you know five years ago and also because of the situation that Manchester United is in at the moment uh, where you kind of don't know what's going to happen uh, you know so many years we're just winning and winning and winning and you know the requirement was to win and the disappointment was if we didn't now we don't know. Uh, so playing a team like uh, Atletico Madrid, who uh, is, is it's just such a stubborn team with a stubborn manager, uh, who time and time again has proved to the world that he's a master of just winning one very important game uh, and just taking one game at a time and can be different from game to game. I'm a bit, I'm a bit sort of, uh, I'm a bit nervous. It's very, very important for us tonight. I mean, not just important. It's just very important because the Champions League, it's what we've got left, um, and it's been years. I think it's eight years since we've progressed past the quarterfinals. Yeah, it's never, too long yeah. for a club like Manchester United that, you know, claims to be the biggest club in the world. We are in Madrid. We are in a hotel. Hence the. Uh, background music, yeah. uh, which, uh, uh, yeah, apologies to everyone for that. Uh, I, I won't ask you for a prediction, because when this embrace comes Embrace the out, music, right? Yeah, embrace the music. You know, it's, yes. It's, yes. A good, uh, it's a good backdrop. Relax, <laughs> relax uh, with it. But uh, yeah, uh, when you listen to all this, we will know if uh, yeah. Manchester United or Atletico Madrid would have gone to the next round. But it's good to actually hear the feeling of it beforehand. Mm -hmm. But we're here to talk about your uh, book, which, by the way, you may not know, but it was nominated to Football Book of the Year in Spain. Was it? Yeah. Whoa. Fought against mine. Is that right? Yeah. No. Yeah. But neither of us won. <laughs> no. <laughs> <laughs> so, but anyway, yeah, you were in the list, in the show list of oh, uh, Book of the Year. Uh, because it's riveting. It's um, you're taking us in places I didn't expect. Uh, it's it's very very personal. It's not the usual uh, book of a player who wants to remember the good moments. There's there's much more than that. But before we actually go to it, I want to go to the end and something you told me last night, which will tell us about where you are now. Yeah. You were saying that your relationship with fans have changed, and then in recent times, you feel much closer to them yeah. than you were. Um, We'll take it from there and to take us into yeah, the book, but it's, first... It's, it's, it's kind of similar to, to the, the importance of the games. I've been for many, many years, uh, I've been connected to, to the results of Leicester because my son is playing there. So a lot of my sort of emotions and feelings have gone into that. But Manchester United has always been the club that I support, from ever since I can remember. Um, How is that, by the way? I have no idea. To be honest, I, I mean, I I'm a kid, so I'm born in the six, beginning of the sixties, and so I'm I'm you know I'm a, a kid in the in the seventies with, you know, we didn't have internet or music or, or, or TV as we have today in Denmark. We hardly had any football on, uh, so it was like the FA Cup final would be shown on on, on live on on, on the, the one channel that we had. Uh, not even the Danish national teams was on on TV, so. It really, it's a mystery to me how and, and, and you know, how and why I fell for Man United the way that I've done. Um, 
but I mean, I had my walls plastered with Man United. It was just, I mean, I don't know what it, what it was, but uh, no, the results have always been important, but we've been winning, 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 and then for a period we haven't been winning, it's, it's that period's now eight years, um, and you kind of, working in the media where you work on the games and you have to analyze, you always, you know, I try to go one or two layers below what people are actually looking at. So not just focusing on results, but also looking at, so what is happening? How are we developing? Where are we going? You know, are we, are we identifying ourselves with, with, you know, in the right way? Are we, are we trying to become that in the right? All of these things. So in a way, the results uh, has, in, it, it's kind of, the importance is not, not diminished, but it's not been the most important thing. I've been looking for progress, you know, progress here, progress there. And it's been a little bit up and down, but now the results are so important because we are really not doing well. And we really, we really have an opportunity now with the changes of the leadership. Uh, first of all, of the football clubs of Richard Arnold now, there's a new CEO, uh, Ed Woodward has stepped down. Um, I know Richard very well. I know also what kind of person he is and what he, you know, how he, he wants to, to, uh, to work. And he's, he's a powerful person. And I'm sure that he, he, uh, he has made clear that he wants to run the club or run the company like any other CEO runs a company with, you know, uh, some, a bit of, you know, wiggle room before he has to go to the board. Uh, so there is an opportunity in this change of the guards to, to restructure the football club. And I think the time is there to do that. It's an opportunity that we cannot miss. So now suddenly the results as well are very important because now I'm thinking, okay, fine. So, so we, we, have, we, we will get a new manager in the summer. Um, what happens when you get a new manager? He will have two, three, four players and then we start winning. Well, that, that's not what we need. I think we need to give, go further back, you know, start looking at, you know, how we recruit, how we scout, you know, how we develop players, and all of that has to take priority now. Um, Create a foundation, no? A foundation yeah, of what you have to build but I from. think you know the whole the whole identity. It, that, that's a question we now have to deal with. You know, so, so who are we and how how do we how do we become who we, who we want to be? So, so we have not since Alex and David Gill, who was a CEO um, back then. They left on the same day. We, we have not had good times, if you like. Mm -hmm. This is a fantastic opportunity. I mean, when I see the fans and you mixing with the fans. Oh, no, come on. Mm. What is it? What do you want? Just a picture. Okay. You're going on our podcast All as right. well, so there you are. There you go. <laughs> yeah. So, I'm sorry for I'm yeah. just oh, taking a little break here. Sorry. <laughs> All right. All right. Cheers. Oh, me as well, me as well. All right. Okay. Thank you so much. Right. <laughs> Cheers, thank you. So, that's so when you, I see you, when the fans see you, I mean, this actually is a proof of it, but uh, they, they, they want a picture of you because I think you represent what, where they want to go next, yeah. you know, winning and, and all that. You sense that as well? And yeah, I do, absolutely. Yeah. And, and, and the relationship uh, becomes more and more important. I, I was brought up... Um, right from the beginning of playing in front of people. I was brought up with the, with the attitude and the understanding that the most important people in football 
are the people watching us. We play football for them. Of course, first and foremost, we play football because we think it's funny. But when it becomes professional, you know, they are the ones you're playing for. When you get to a club like Manchester United that that ha carries such a rich history and uh, and there are so many traditions and, and the fan base is just incredibly big, uh, then you, you, you realize how important it is that you you have that as your, your first thing, your first priority. And of course, you like to uh, you like to be you know a good professional. You like to, to do the best for the fans, um, but it can overwhelm you as well. You know, it's after a game you played. You know, if there are two thousand people standing outside of Old Trafford, you can't. I mean, you can't have a picture taken with every one of them all saying. You try to do as much as you can, but. Uh, the most important thing is that when you're on the pitch, it, that you you know that that they are the guys you're doing it for. So you have to give everything. <clears throat> I re <clears throat> Sorry, I remember very clearly coming to England and, and experiencing um, football and the importance of football. Uh, and, and when I when I came, it's not like that anymore. But when I came, most of the stadiums were right in the middle of where people live. So they, a lot of kids grew up, uh, you know, street footballers, looking at the stadium, which is next door to where they lived, dreaming about playing in there one day on that turf, um, and and that was something. Uh, it was it was a it was an incredible thing to experience, and I always took that to heart. I always made sure that, you know, that first and foremost, whatever I did, I would never never let them down. I would never go on the pitch feeling tired or sorry for myself or if we went down I wouldn't you know I, I wouldn't be you know crying and think oh the world is really tough on me I would fight and fight and fight until the very last minute and 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 fortunately for me you know uh, I was with a manager who's the same grew up in in you know in Gowan in, uh, in, uh, in Glasgow looking at Ibrox uh, dreaming about playing there one day and he did but also looking the other way and seeing the shipyards where his dad worked, um, and and that that's tough life, you know. So so of course he was driving that culture as well, and so so did everybody else in my in my squads at my United, and I loved it, absolutely loved it. But when you get when you retire, you get a little bit away from your work in the media, you start to see the whole world from a different angle. You have to analyze it. You have to also respect the, the players, you can never go out. I, I've never done that. I said, oh, the player's really bad. I mean, I've I, I never done that. Uh, I, I, I didn't like it when people did it always. I never, I've never said, oh, this is a, such a big mistake. And, you know, never sort of emphasize that. Try to be sensible and reasonable about it and analyze it in a way that if I met the player, he would respect me for that. Because I respected the people who did that to me. Uh, so you, you kind of have football in a completely different angle for a period of time. Then, of course, you grow older, you know your days are numbered and then, you know, you kind of go back to where you began. You may not realise this, but one of the pleasures of working with people like you in the media is that uh, you bring what made you the best into that, into the new profession. You're very thorough, uh, you, you're demanding, mm. but in a nice way and you, you set the standards very, very high, that's what made you originally, then yeah. you're not going to change. I, I, think, uh, I'm, I think when we talk about talent and, and who makes it and who doesn't make it, I think the very most important or the biggest or most important thing in talent is mentality. 
if you don't have the right or correct mentality in, in whatever lease of life you choose, you will never make it. You, will make, you, can, you can make it good, yes. We can never be lazy. Everything you, ha you do, you have to work hard. And you have to understand why you do it. You have to understand that. And, and you know, when I look back at my football career, I, I feel privileged and very, very lucky. I played with so many great players who understood all of that. Um, and, and once you get into you know, the, the, the best squads that we had at Manchester United, and you see all that come together, there's no discussion about it. It just happens. You know, we, we're struggling against Juventus in a game, and you know, we, don't have, we don't have time to go and ask the manager what to do. You see the guys there you know, changing what needed, needs to be changed because they understand that. And then from being 2 0 down in, in 11 minutes, you know, certainly it's 2 2, you know. Those, those, that, that's a talent, you know, that, that's, that's the most important thing. You see so many great, great, great players, you know, technical players, quick players, players who score unbelievable goals, but it comes like in waves. It's not a consistent thing that's being delivered every, every time they play. But I've played with these players who delivers every time at that level. You play with somebody, they just, you know, Paul Scholes, for instance, plays in midfield where, you know, the game is going around you in 360 degrees. It's not like me, where it's 180. Mm -hmm. Or if, you, if you're a winger, it's 180 in modes. It's 360 and everything you have to be aware of. And, and you see that level being produced every game, time after time, two games a week, sometimes even three games a week. And it's there. It never, it never goes below a certain very, very high level. And that comes from mentality. And that, I think, is the most important thing in talent. You already said that uh, it's, the important thing is to understand why things happen and why you get to where you get to. So I guess the book was uh, a bit of exploration of that, no? I think the, the book was, was it, it's a long, long, long process, I have to say. It's, it's, uh, it's now coming up to seven and a half years since I, I, I first had the, ideas, the idea about that and first spoke to Jonathan Northcroft, who, who has written the book about this idea. Good choice, by the way. I, I think it's a fantastic choice. But um, I, w I was very unsure about it. Do I want to put a book out there? And I, I, you know, I, I had, at the time, that my father was still alive, and, and you know, I, I knew that time was, was limited for him. Uh, his background, which is you know, well documented in the book, is quite interesting. Uh, but I, I kind of did not, I didn't know too much about it. So I wanted to know more um, and I wanted to, you know, grab the opportunity while he was still around. Um, and, and I had this, this meeting with Jonathan where we, you know, asked him if he would write this book and maybe just write the book without a publisher, just, just to see, so I could see the book, do I really want it out there? And what we agreed on, he, he wanted to do it right from the beginning. So what we agreed on was for me, I had to take, take my father to his native Poland and he had to show me you know, everything uh, that, that he, he could show me in, in whatever period. But he was never really, he wasn't really well enough. So I kind of put the book to one side and then when lockdown, lockdown came, um, I spoke to Jonathan, football stopped for four months. So we basically had nothing to do He's writing for the Sunday Times, so he might have had, you know, one article a week, uh, but nothing, nothing during the week. No games to go to. No, you know, couldn't really leave your house. So no big interviews. So we said, well, this, this is, this is the moment, and the moment, 
Yeah. My father had passed away by then, and and the moment for me also was, you know, I'm 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 in the second part of the of, of my fifties, and when I said I, when I said, you know, I'm coming towards, you know, how many how many years is left? You know, numbers are shortening off. You're getting into that, so there's a lot of things you think about. You know, are you are you doing the right things? Are you getting most out of your life and the time you're here? And are you doing things you really want to do? That's a lot of things, you know. It, it just, and it's not bad. It's not bad at all. But there's also, you know, there's also a period of my life just around when I would turn 50 where I made really big changes to my life. A life I divorced. I, I had plans about one thing. Then I met this woman, which turned the whole thing upside down. I never planned for that. And I'm now married with her, you know, married to her. And my life has taken a different turn to what I kind of was thinking it was going to do and planning. And I kind of needed something to, like therapy, something to, 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 to have an inward look and to understand more about myself. Am I, am I the best version of what I can be? You know, do I want to be the person I am? You know, so I, so that, that was the idea. That's the basis of the book. So basically going back, looking my, at my history, look at my father's history, my parents. Um, and that, that, that pizza is uh, not easy at all. Let me tell you a little secret. My mother has asked me to write her story. She left home when, uh, just after the war in Spain when she was 12. She was on her own in Girona, like a thousand miles from, from where she was born. And I never wanted to explore it because I think I'm going to unearth things that I may not want to be mm. wanting to know. I just want, I just want her as I know her, but yeah. I know I will do that one day. Yeah. But I wonder if you went that, when you looked into your dad's story, for instance. Yeah, it was, it was interesting because, so obviously growing up with my father, he kept that part of his life. So he left, he left Poland this is before the war, of course, so it was the Eastern, Eastern European bloc, so it was kind of not controlled, but was in the Soviet Union kind of uh, alliance, if you like. Uh, so he left Poland in 60, which is three years before I was born. Anthony was, wo was born in a Polish town, little town, or was it in, 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 in Warsaw? Or no, 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 he was it's kind of in the middle of Poland, Turum, a place called Turum. But he grew up something. He grew up different, two, two or three different places. So, uh, um, so right at the north, where actually where the, the Europa League final between Man United and Villarreal was. Mm -hmm. So he he lived there also. Uh, but he kept that he kept that part of his life closed. Never wanted to talk about it. Uh, never spoke Polish to us. Uh, Poland Poland was, and there's a reason for that. And, and I don't want to go into any details, but I kind of try to explain that reason in the book. Uh, it's quite quite a wild reason, if, if I'm honest. Uh, so he never really said anything, and the sort of snippets of information I had came from what my mother had told me uh, growing up. And then, um, and then at some point, uh, I was, so I was working for a Danish TV station, and we, we, were, we were hosting, um, a new idea in boxing it was called the Super Six Boxing Tournament. Carl Frotch, for instance, was in there. Jermaine, uh, Jermaine Taylor was in there. Uh, anyway, we had we had, we had uh, a Danish boxer who was in that sort of elite, uh, world class elite. So we we, we were uh, it was actually our TV station who got the idea, but then the the idea got sort of bred in America. So it was very very big, and the first so, so it was like a boxing tournament. It's not like one 
one night, you know, it was a tournament, and they all had to box each other. Uh, so it's quite interesting. And the first, the first, um, the first fight was in Berlin. And um, and my father was a big, big boxing fan. So I took him to Berlin for this. Uh, and we were there for a few days, and we, we you know, had a few walks around. We went to see the whatever was left of the wall. We went to, and at, at some point we're at the train station, and he starts to talk about leaving Poland because he left Poland via Berlin, so Eastern Berlin to Western Berlin, in and then up to Denmark. And he's he's beginning to talk about things I don't know about. You know, he was, you know, he 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 had to sign up to be an agent uh, with the. Uh, security forces in Poland and he felt he felt that he was being watched and they were building he, they were literally building the wall when he passed through Berlin so it was a lot of things there that really blew me away and I tried I tried after that I tried to get more information out but that it was a moment so I got some snippets of information uh, information and uh, then of course you know he was too ill to to take, take you know, more I couldn't take him to Poland but then Jonathan, being the, uh, the journalist that he is, he, he has done an incredible amount of research in Poland and come up with so much more. Um, so so I, I needed to do that. I also needed to nail that bit of our family's history in one way. Because we, so I'm, you know, I'm a well-known person and my son is a well-known person. And our history becomes important in many ways because there will be questions about, and, and not knowing where you're from, it doesn't really mean anything to me when I'm 30 and 40 and I get into the 50s, you start to think about it, you know? So I thought it was quite important for that as well to sort of have it nailed or there is now a record of that. And then of course the whole therapy, therapy bit, you know? Looking back at yourself, you know? I went to, I was reading your book when I went to Poland and because I was reading it and those things were coming out in the yeah. book, I decided to go to the, I think it's the National Museum yeah. in Warsaw, which tells you the, uh, how they resisted uh, the invasion of the Nazi invasion, the resilience of, Pol of Polish people, yeah. the fact that they, even though they lost every single battle that they faced in history, apart from one, <laughs> um, that remained in their, mm. in their makeup. Mm -hmm. So I just wonder if you, that opened your eyes about yourself, yeah, about absolutely. all of a sudden it's like, oh, I'm a bit Polish, that, that, it explains a lot of things. It, it actually explains a lot about me, it does. I, I, I started the whole idea, or the whole process of wanting to know about myself. Um, and, and I got to know a lot. There's uh, still a lot of things that I don't understand. I'm, for instance, I, I, I said the, premise, the premises for this book is a question I'm a kid growing up in, uh, in Copenhagen, uh, no TV, no, I mean, newspapers, of course, but no internet, no nothing. What, what, what inside of me made the decision when I was nine years of age that I wanted to play for Manchester United in an FA Cup final at Wembley and win it? What was that? I mean, where did that come from? How come a kid can say that and then go and do it? It's a different country, you know. No, no, not a single Danish goalkeeper has ever left Denmark. I mean, how, we didn't even have professional football, mm -hmm. you know. Professional football was, was introduced in 1978 in Denmark. So even when I had this, professional football didn't exist in Denmark. So, 
so that, that was kind of the, the open question. And from that age, you know, it grew. So it was all about knowing, knowing stuff about myself. A break in proceedings to tell you about my experience with Manscaped and their performance package. This thing is the real deal. The ultimate grooming package for a champion. Included is the greatest trimmer ever created. Low Moa 4.0 trimmer. The weed whacker for your nose and air hair. Liquid foundations plus a free travel bag and boxes. So, get 20% off and free shipping with the code PUREFOOTBALL at manscaped.com. Get the perfect package for your package and be a champion. You were talking about uh, it wasn't certainly as professional football when you came out of Denmark as you found, obviously, um, at Manchester United. But interestingly enough, and it's one of the things that stuck in my head, goalkeepers especially of gener your generation, you used to be put aside and you did mm. your thing and then you appeared in the lineup and then you together just before the game, but you were like an island. I was a little goalkeeper, I was an amateur goalkeeper, so I know what I'm talking about in a way. Um, but not you. No. Because you actually, when, when they asked you to do the, the pig in the middle, yeah. you said, yeah, I'm, 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 I'm in the pig in the middle. Yeah, so do the boxes. Yeah, you know, it, it's funny because it's one of the things you think about. So when you ask yourself these questions, who are you and what did you do? And all, um, so one of the things I found out about myself, and I, I move boundaries. And I, I think it's important that, 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 uh, that people move boundaries. And, and that's, you should do that for yourself, but you should also do that for your surroundings. Um, little did I know at the time, uh, so, so the story you're referring to is my first day in training at Manchester United when we start pre-season and pre-season for me was running, just running, running, running and the next sort of three weeks you didn't see a football. But pre-season in England is different because obviously you've got 60 games coming up and you have to preserve energy. So we would start light and, and, and for Brian Kidd who was a coach at the time, he was, all right, let's, let's start, we we'll do the boxes, oldest, the youngest over there. And Pete and Gary and, and Jim, you can go and do half orders. And I'm like, no, I'm in the boxes. No, you know, you know. And they were like, oh, the goalkeeper. And I went, just stood there. And it was embarrassing, you know, but I, I stood my ground and everyone was sort of kind of, you know, it was one of the moments I looked at my hands and who the hell is this guy, you know? Um, Which became practice, general practice no, for the goalkeepers I mean, to do that. And so, so when I said, little did I know that the rules were being changed, but you, the rules did change a year later. Um, I don't know if you, you can say that I can take credit for that, but I'm definitely one of the reasons for that back pass rule to change, because when we played the European Championship final in 92, we were, we were literally on, you know, we, we had nothing left. And there was a couple of players in our team, Brian Lauder, Fleming Powell's, who could keep the ball. And when they couldn't keep the ball anymore, you know, they looked up, there was no, nowhere to pass a ball, and they would just kick it back to me, or tune it up at the time, and I would wait for someone, Klinsmann or, or Karl-Heinz Riedel, to come and, 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 and then I would pick it up, you know? And you know, that could be one minute every time wasted. So I think they looked at the rule back then and said, oh, this has got to change. But in all that, I had always been part of the group, always been part of the group. Because when you're in there, you're 11 guys, doesn't matter what your job is, we all have different jobs. It's not a single job on that pitch that is the same. It's always a slight little difference to where you are and how you do your runs and where you... So, you, you are a group and that group needs to solve the problem. 
that you or the answer the question that you've been asked in that game. So you've got to stick together. So it's, there's no point in taking someone out of the group and leave them, and then they only see them on match days. I never, I never understood that. So I would do whatever goalkeeping training I needed to do. I would, would do that when the group wasn't there. Because mm -hmm. they didn't need to see that. I wanted to be with the group. And in that, you also have to accept that you then do every run. You know, every run that... And, and back then, that was... And the goalkeepers never ran. But I ran. And I was good at running. And I was good at sprinting. I was good at everything. And, you know, it was awkward the first day. But since then, it was never awkward. It was part of what needed to be. And so when the rule changed and you couldn't pick up back passes, you need to use your feet. So not only were I well equipped because I've been practicing this, I mean, I've been part of all this, you know, even possession games, I, 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 for my four years, four and a half years in Bromby, I was in every possession game, every pressure game, everything. In, so not only did it help me using my feet, but it also helped me tactically. So I knew, because I've been training, that when you are in this position, to receive the ball like this, for instance, I'm not showing anything, I'm just saying, like, you know, in one way, it's a problem for me because then I get challenged from here. So I knew I couldn't pass the ball to him like that, like throw the ball. I had to do it there because I've been in that situation. So I thought all that just was just natural to me and made sense. And it became the norm, of course. This is what I mean, you need, you need people to, to move boundaries. So I moved the, the boundaries. I there put, are took people that are able and capable, like you, of moving boundaries. Yeah. There are others that need the boundaries and need to exactly. build, need to conform to the rule. But you are, and as every elite well, player, I played with a lot of these guys. And they just unbelievable. The, yeah. Move him. I put the yeah. Cantona story in there as well. Uh, his first day in training when he went out before everybody else, which was the beginning of of the idea that you can go out and practice rehearse some of the things that is yours individual or your individual skill or something you need to improve on but it doesn't take time from the group yeah. so and and that was that was a that so yes there's a lot of players i've played with a lot of players that move boundaries and you need these guys and i had a manager of course who moved boundaries all the time all the time you know, so you need these guys this this is you know it, it, it all comes inside you know who who you are, but I when I do the, I did the book, it was one of the things that I always I always come to think about myself was that whatever I do, I kind of always want to do it a little bit different than what was already there, um, and it's not it's not because I want to do things different, it's just because the natural thing for me was to do it this way, you know. So when I went when I started doing uh, doing. Uh, so at first I went into the media straight, straight away after you know retiring. But I went into presenting a couple of years later. So the, my my style of presenting was very different to what was norm. I, I didn't want to be. I always understood that you know every program. That you know it has to, it has to be around the presenter, but not about the presenter. I think that's a, a very big difference. So I, I was working, for instance, during Champions League. I was presenting Champions League in Denmark. And I'd hire my, my, uh, my, the two pundits we had was Brian Lauter and, and uh, Prebenberg Kjernarsen. And these guys normally would come in on the day and say, OK, what are we doing today? And I didn't want that. I wanted them to take responsibility. So you're going to talk about Juventus today. So we need to know what you think about Juventus, not what I ask you about. So you come in 
you bring us, show us the pictures. This is, and you, in the beginning, a little bit like, you know, but then they love it, absolutely. And what it did, it moved our programming in a different direction. So, so yes, I was kind of the guy that was sort of binding it together, but the three of us made the program. And they hadn't done it before like that. And, and so, and I never thought about this, oh, I want to, I'm coming into this job, I've got to do this. Never thought, this is just Came what natural. I want. Came natural. So, so and been, I think I'm one of those people, you know, just, just moves it a little bit. Absolutely. Uh, we've been half an hour at it, and we've got only a few minutes. And I know that everybody will listen, or the ones that will listen to this will say, you should have asked about a hundred other things. Well, a hundred <laughs> other things, you find them in the book to start oh, with. Yeah. And this is a limited time that we've got here. But uh, the, I think the last one I want to talk about is uh, Sir Alex, because mm. I, I think my next book is going to be about Pep Guardiola and his legacy. Yeah. So what he's done that's new and will remain. Yeah. And to do that, you need to look at people like yeah. Alex Ferguson and what they've done and what was their legacy. Yeah. So tell me, tell me, tell me everything that will help me in terms of <laughs> how he well, was leading. It's them. interesting. Um, so I'm watching the documentary that Jason, his son, is done on him. There's a lot of programs out there about Alex Ferguson. But I, I can tell you that that is the closest you get to that person. So the reason I bring this up is it's very difficult to it's di to, to say oh, he's this and he's that and he did this and did that. But when you have a bleed like he did and and when when you his age as well, so he's at the end of his seventies, this happens. Normally people don't really become. They don't um, and, and this was not just a little casual belief. This was a serious one. This, he is very, very fortunate to be alive. He should have died of this. So, so uh, you know, it, it, was, it was very, very serious, as I said. But when you meet him now, he's normal. He's 80 years of age, he's normal. So you, I don't see a, a big difference from what he was to what he is now. Uh, he has worked tirelessly on his memory. Uh, because the most important thing for him is his memory. It's always been, always. Not because he's gotten old and he wants to remember everything he's done. It's the one thing that had all, always impressed me was his memory. What he remembers. I give you the best example that I can give to the top of my head is, you know, just funny, I just said Pred Melchior Larsen there. So, so he, was, he was obviously a great player for Denmark. And he also had uh, one incredible season in Italy with uh, Hellas Verona where they won the championship. And the two foreign players were him and Hans-Peter Briegel. Um, now, Italian football, of course, if you're a manager in England, you don't see that much. So it's, it, doesn't, it doesn't create a lot of waves around, around the world. Um, so, so we're at Old Trafford. I watched the game. Uh, and, and, and he's there for, for Danish TV with a commentator. And we, we're in the same hotel. So I said to them, you can come with me. I'll, I'll take you. And, and if you go from the press box, uh, and you, you, you actually, the way I leave Old Trafford, you go past uh, Sir, Sir Alex's lounge. So I, I say to them, well, let's just knock on the door and say hi. And Pred Melchior said, oh, no, no, he don't, he don't really know me. And blah, blah, blah. you know, he, he's, Preben, everyone knows him, but he kind of, but anyway. I knock on the door and, and he goes, so I go, oh, come on, Peter, come in, come in. I say, no, I'm, I'm, I'm with some friends. We're actually on our way out. I just wanted to say hello. And he comes out. 
And I said, this is Carsten, he's a, he's a commentator for Danish TV, and this is Pred Mikael And he goes, that goal you scored against us in 86. So he was a Scotland manager in 86. <laughs> this wow. is like what? This is maybe, I don't know, it's, it's maybe five or six years ago. So that, that goal you scored, we, we beat Scotland 1-0, he was a Scotland manager. And he goes, oh, that was so lucky then. We played really well. And Pred, he's like, wow. He remembers me, and, and he goes, but, but, the best thing for me was that goal you scored when you lost your boot. And there was a game in, in the Italian league where he played for Verona, and he got tackled in, in he was, and, and you know, the guy just got, got his boot and it went off, and he, he, you know, carried on and scored with his sock. And he goes like that. <laughs> and you think, okay, he had no idea this guy was at, at the Old Trafford that day. And it's just like that. And I've just, time and time again, I've, I've had these examples of him just remembering everything and everybody. Now, I saw him about three weeks ago, and I, I don't see a difference. I don't, I mean, he, he's a little bit older, yeah. But I don't see a difference. He's as sharp as anything. And only him, because of who he is and what it is, only he gets to that. Only this is hard work. It's not. He has work. He's still on. He's 80 years of age. Wakes up every morning, goes to the gym. You know, he, he uh, it's just, it's, it's incredible, the the capacity he's got, and and when you boil management down to one, one thing, one important thing, it is to know who you're dealing with. If you have a memory like that, you know your people. That, that is unbelievable. So and, and of course, the, uh, his knowledge through his experiences, through his right decisions, through his errors, right. it's something that no club can throw that away right. at all. So I imagine he's part of the, the, the rebuilding, if you like, of Manchester yeah. United. Yeah, absolutely. And so he should be. Uh, I think, you know, with the new leadership, um, there is this idea of bringing... Uh, people with with the experiences of having been there, done that, in and taking advice, um, and that is not just the same thing as saying uh, you know we're going to go backwards. But I think there is there is so much knowledge, so much experience, and so much capacity unused, um, and we all love the football club, and we all want the football club to do really well. And it's something that hasn't been going on for a long time now. And I think with the new leadership, that, that, that's going to happen. I hope it's going to happen. And, uh, you know, so Alex, is, he's around the club all the time. Um, and and, and I, I know he will, be, he will be extremely happy to, to help out and give that advice. So I hope he's in there. And if you want to know some more, buy the book, uh, Peter Smeichel's yes. Autobiography 1. Or uh, hang around halls in hotels in all over Europe. <laughs> you may yeah. be able to actually meet him too. Because we're here. We're here all the time. And, and you know, just on Alex Ferguson, you got to see that film. That film is incredible. Because you never ever will know a person like him better than from that film. It's I did very see personal. It and, uh, and, and because the first criticism that people make is because it's done by his son, mm -hmm. it's not going to be any criticism of Sir Alex. It doesn't matter. Because of his son, that's why you see yeah. him at most natural. Yeah. And, and obviously... No, but, but, so Jason can ask questions that no one else can ask. Yeah. And he gets a person... So, he, so <laughs> it, it, it's interesting because, 
you know, if you want to make a documentary, you know, the sentiment is you have to go all the way around. So you also have to stick some criticism in there. You've got to ask different questions and, and, and so on. Um, but this, this is the closest you'll ever get to know the person. And this person is someone who's been documented time and time and time again. And no one has gotten this close. And of course, you only, you only get this, co this close because Jason written, he's written it, directed it, and produced it. That's mm -hmm. the only reason you get it. So I won't say take it for what it is because it's a lot more than that. It's a bit, a bit of an insult. Yeah. But that is kind of the angle you have to take, but you've got to watch it. It's brilliant. It really is brilliant. And it's something I want to watch again, and I want to take notes when I, when I because there, there was so much, there is so much in terms of um, statements, if you like, that is usable and applicable to everything that goes on in life, you know? And it's just, it doesn't come out as a lecture or anything. It's just something that pops up in, in, a, in a story or something that is telling or answering a question. Or, and, and the reason why you should never criticize it because of his son um, has made, is that he is so natural in the way he asks. He's, there's no God. He just, he just answers. And they're not fabricated. They're, no. they're not, they are the honest ones. And it's a way that I know the guy. And, and you know it's just brilliant I'm, and I'm going to be interesting to see when you get to Guardiola because that's going to be another one that, that is uh, is there any, anything and with, with this I promise I finish any, any similar approach to, to, to the profession to life to football between both of them between both of them yes absolutely and, and it's interesting that when, when Pep lived uh, in, in New York he hooked up with uh, with Sir Alex, and they spent a lot of time together. Um, I think he fits Manchester United so much, not anymore. Uh, but Pep Guardiola, do you not see like he would have been yeah. a good leader there? I mean, he's. I think he's in a, in a parallel world. So what he's done, yeah, what he's done is incredible, and it's interesting. I had. I had the, um, well, we interviewed him together in, yeah. in, in was it in Paris? It was in Paris, Paris. Yeah. He didn't play any strikers, and it's interesting. When you asked about something like that, I asked him, do you regret not playing a striker? And the, the anger flared. <laughs> but then he realizes, you know, he realizes it's a valid question. So I, I answer, and he did, and I answered it again last week. Is that a said Alex thing as well? That uh, Yes, he would, he would, um, he would be very, very hard on the media if if they started to give him any kind of, you know, go off script or whatever. He would, but it's it's more than anything the pride in it that that hit me. And I interviewed him again after they beat uh, uh, Sporting Lisbon five, and and uh, I asked him straight up, you know, who can beat you? I mean, there's no on this form. Who can beat you? And then of course Tottenham went and did it. And they, <laughs> but who who yes. can I, seriously? And he's trying to play it down. You know, he's trying. So he's the same thing. And I all I can think about is that he's not talking to me. He's not talking to you or anyone that's watching. He's talking to his players. You know, he's already preparing them because he knows now it's going to be a dogfight. Even though they had a nine-point gap, it's going to be a dogfight from now on until the end of the season with Liverpool. So he wanted Alex to put that out there, and that is precisely what Sir Alex always did. He always put something, you know, in an interview that surprised everybody. 
but it was meant for us, you know. So yeah, I see a lot. I, I, I mean, of course, the the, the 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 game has changed and it's more tactical, and you change more from game to game. And we didn't really do that too much, so so it's difficult to compare on that level. But as a, as person, as people, yeah, absolutely, there are a lot of similarities. Picked up, we got to go to work. Oh yeah, of course. <laughs> oh, the game's already started. Oh. <laughs> Thank you very much. You are welcome. Thank you for listening to this episode of the PU Football Podcast. And a reminder, get 20% off and free shipping with the code, ready, Pure Football. The code is purefootball at manscaped.com. That's 20% off with free shipping at manscaped.com and use the code purefootball. Shoot for glory this year with the best tools for the job from Manscaped.